Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and here's my co-host Lewis. Say hello Lewis. Hiya, how are you getting on? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. Here we are, the nights are coming in. It's very dark now. Mm. Very fitting for the time of year. Yeah, sure. As we approach Halloween. So before we get into Halloween and talking about Halloween, uh, quick something else I want to touch on, reference back to episode 6, when we talked about Street Fighter 2 and fighting anime. Uh, one of the things I did glaringly admit to uh, talk about uh, as we reviewed Street Fighter 2, the movie, were the, the two Street Fighter Alpha OVAs. Um, and I'll bring them up because the Wario Deshu uh, podcast recently did one of their commentary podcasts on the first Street Fighter Alpha um, OVA. And in contrast to how good Street Fighter 2 is, the Alpha OVAs are really, really bad. So um, I, I should have brought them out of time, but please go and check out uh, Wario Deshu's podcast. It's quite entertaining. So back onto this one. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, it is on or around Halloween. And we've got a bit of a Halloween horror theme to today's podcast. So um, we're going to look at the vampire genre. It's a genre I've always been interested in. Vampires have always interested me. Always watched the Hammer horror films when I was uh, a kid. They were some of the first horror films that I watched. Um, and then... Just got into things always like Buffy was always one of my favorite TV shows. Um, and you know, there's it's been a genre that's been quite well um serviced in uh in anime as well. Um, you've had the um Blood series, Blood Sea, um, Blood Plus, the Blood Movie, Helsing, the Vampire Knight TV series, and Seraph of the End. And um, getting on to what we're going to talk about today, which is the Vampire Hunter D and Vampire Princess Mew. OVAs. So, Lewis, vampires big in your world? Uh, yeah, I've always found um, the idea interesting. Um, I've, I can't remember. I wouldn't say anything's like really properly stuck out to me in terms of vampire media or, or animation or anything like, yeah. like that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything that might stick out in my past of watching. No, I just I've, I've just generally enjoyed uh, horror. Um, Sort of the supernatural sort of things, like high fantasy mm -hmm. or Lovecraftian horror and things like that. And you know, vampires have, have always been part of that sort of fantasy horror idea, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I've always I've always sort of gravitated towards that style of things. Yeah, I say the TV. I mean, it's well represented on TV as well. Um, oh, sorry, vampires that, that the uh, the one game that does stick out, um, uh, Vampire Bloodlines. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, uh, one of the best RPGs ever made. Oh, really? Uh, but continued on uh, by fans, because there's a there's a brilliant community of, of fans of the Vampire uh, Masquerade Bloodlines thing that, uh, that, that that created a patch to keep it going. Oh, right, um, okay. Cool. Which uh, one, one of my favourite games, actually. It's very, very good. Uh, that's the one thing that sticks out to me, actually, yes. Yeah, like I say, I mean, there's been it's well represented on TV. Um, you've had uh, True Blood and Vampire Diaries in in recent mm, years, but mm. like I say, I mean, Bam, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was just um, you know, it's just my favourite TV show. I just think it is so good across the whole seven series, uh, seven seasons. So uh, right, we'll get on with the reviews.
So our first review today is the Vampire Hunter D OVA. This was a 1985 OVA directed by Tuyu Ishida and produced by Ashi Productions. Um, actually based on a series of novels written by Hideyuki Kikuchi. The first of which came out in 1983 and this OVA is based on that first novel. Kikuchi wrote 31 novels in total and 21 of them have been released in the West across 25 volumes. Uh, Kikuchi was uh, actually influenced um, and inspired by the Christopher Lee Hammer Horror films. I think it's quite evident, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. Ashida, a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast will know, um, possibly know that he directed the original Fist of the North Star TV series and the movie. Um, he hasn't got a lot of uh, directing credits to his name, uh, predominantly Fist of the North Star and and this OVA. Both um, of them gems. A- but both of them gems, yeah. He didn't do much, but what he did, he did do very, very well. But he was actually a very prolific character designer, um, and he has character designer portfolio is is very, very big and illustrious. Both of the... So uh, there was a, a sequel to Vampire Hunter D, came out in 2000, directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri of Ninja Scroll, Lensman, Goku Midnight, Eye Fame... Um, that was actually based on the third novel uh, Kikuchi wrote. Both of these are available in the US on DVD and Blu-ray, so uh, easily, easily available. So what's Vampire Hunter D about? So it's set 10,000 years in the post-apocalyptic future, actually in the year 12,090. Vampires and beasts rule the land, but humanity, having been suppressed by the vampires, is, is now making a comeback and re-establishing itself. And in the village of Ransvania, the uh, a local girl called Doris is bitten by the local nobility, Count Magnus Lee, who uh, takes a bit of a shine to her and decides to take her as his wife. Um, and that's where Doris hires Dee, who's a vampire, vampire hunter, to kill Count Lee. So, Lewis, what did you uh, what did you think of Vampire Hunter Dee? Uh, I got completely lost in the story um, when I watched it. Um, which basically is, is a very good thing because I've completely forgot to, to review it as such. Um, so uh, on that <laughs> that's basis, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, on that basis, I really enjoyed um, the characters, and um, I was less enthralled by the the, the, the female um, Doris. That's it, Doris. I, I was less enthralled by by Doris because um, I, I think it's just a, a little bit typical that she's like kind of like the damsel in distress a lot of the time. Um, but you know she still plays a good role, and um, one of the unbelief, one of the, I think the the only unbelievable part for me is when um, she's sat there looking out the window, and uh, out of nowhere the doctor turns to her and, and proclaims, "You're not in love with a tampir, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh come on!" Um, it was a bit that was a bit of a weak premise, but the rest honestly I, I was lost in, and I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, the progression and the the character play and the the, the animation of all these fantastical demons and, and such. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a very very good. Um, I think it's a very good OVA. Um, it's a feature length OVA. It's it's just over eighty minutes total running time. Mm. Um, and considering it's now over thirty years old, I think it's aged very very well. I think it is a really really good. Uh, really good story mm. um, and is paced very very well like you say it just chips along it's got all the right story beats mm. um, you know it's got it's got a bit of everything you know it's got a bit of, a little bit of comedy it's got um, it's a lot of drama it's got some scandal and some backstabbing and 
action in drama and it's got everything you want all the i mean it's got yeah. everything a bit of everything in it um and i think that you know and i think that's why it stood the test of time so yeah. well i think it's very very well written mm. um and i think one of those um animes as well that like a lot of things in its time it gets off to such a good start um you know the the whole opening scene with the moody music uh just playing in the background lots of sort of silhouette images you know there's not a lot of talk but it's just action and it it kind of just the whole opening bit just hooks you in mm. um you know it's it's a very dark and moody atmospheric OVA as well and it sets that tone right from the very very first um you know literally from the the opening seconds of the film mm. and i think it you know on on that it's it's just you know really really well written yeah it's, um, it's quite typical it's quite typical of its um of its time that it really does take its time to set up these establishing shots yeah uh, much like the the street fighter movie you've got a good 30 to 40 seconds of, of changing panoramics uh, and slow paced movement to show just how brooding this character uh, that we're faced D. Yeah, is. that's very um, true. Actually, it does. It does do that. It does take its time, especially. And uh, the, the, I think the ending sequence also mirrors the intro sequence, but um, whereas the intro sequence is dull lightning and on all this, this sort of this standoffish uh, brooding character is um, sort of, you find that juxtaposition in the ending sequence, which again is another, I think, two or three minutes of, of yeah. uh, D just walking through tranquil, uh, finding peace, basically. Yeah, and I mean, now that you brought it up, I will, I will touch on that because the ending when D actually defeats or destroys the castle, mm. it goes into that sort of spacey, trippy yeah, ending does, bit with the clouds, yeah. you know, and that's mm. that's very typical of, of of its day. There's lots of films that ended a contact which we reviewed, um, not a contact, be invoked which we reviewed on the last episode has that very trippy mm. sort of, you know, Akira goes into a bit of a trippy ending as well at times and i think it was just one of those things but then yes you you get into it and it, it lingers on the lingers is on the bushes blowing in the breeze for about a minute yeah um, as well yeah. so uh <laughs> it's one of those it's really very typical of the uh of that era of animation i feel is um it has these sort of takes its time with this this whole uh moment of contemplation you don't get that i, I think maybe a, a different era of sort of of viewer habits maybe of yeah it is intrinsic of but i think that nowadays if you weren't a avid anime fan watching it uh, for the first time you might be a bit oh do come on uh <laughs> but it is it's tolerable it's definitely tolerable it's just it's just um, yeah i think it adds mood i think it adds, yeah, it does. It, it adds, it adds to it i don't think it's it's not in certainly in vampire hunter d mm. um i don't think it's any any point in it um where it actually kind of slows it down it just no. it's just there it adds adds mood and atmosphere so exactly. um, it's exactly where it needs to be um for sure because the lot the last um obviously the last ending sequence is, is long enough for you to be reflecting on all the, the past events and you know you tagged along on, on d's journey on that respect and, and met all these people that he's sort of forced himself not to care about yeah exactly yeah because i think the other thing it does well as i said it's got a bit of everything in it but essentially it's it's like a sci sci-fi western sci-fi western 
it you know that's mm. how it comes across there was a lot of sci-fi in it if you look at the weapon you know the weapons in it and some yeah, of the yeah. um you know the defense mechanisms that's around Doris's yeah march. very very dystopian you know, sort of dystopia you know and there's there's bits of bits of science in there because i always think d's hat it's got that red yeah gem. thing it looks very mechanical yeah, well, the horses, are, the horses are mechanical. They're all they? cyborgs as well, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's got that... It's got that... Smith and Western. Sort of, you know, it's got that yeah. science fiction bit, but it's very, very Western-y. Because mm. um, I really do think that the, the film plays out like a spaghetti Western. Because it's like frontier life, you know, ranches, you've got the sheriff, mm. you know, she's a, she's been bitten, she's going to get strung up. Um, they're all on horseback. Mm. I mean, it just... It kind of, you know, they talk about frontier life, which is what a lot of, you know, the the original westerns um, are about. You know, yeah. it's about the, you know, the end, the frontier the end of, of humanity, the, yeah, the frontier like... of humanity in in the in Western America. So, um, and it plays like that. And I, I read the I read the original novel, um, you know, as part of this review to, to to be able to compare it. And that's kind of exactly how the people may be different, but that's exactly the feel I got out of the um, out of the novel as well. It. it plays out like a western mm, interesting because um, yeah. i often think d um as well as a character um because he's very dark and he's very moody and he mm. he doesn't say a lot um and i think he's like a clint eastwood character out of the uh, dollars trilogy <laughs> you know he's got that you know the man with no name and mm. you know just this wandering sort of gun for hire yeah. who can sort out the town's problems you know which is a a role that he repeatedly played yeah and, and d d does feel a bit like that i think it you know to me he's a bit of a mix of count dracula and uh the man with no name yeah that's a few dollars yeah from, uh, I, I, this I, dollars. I was going to raise the point that uh that he's to me he's very much like it's the obvious com- comparison he's like count dracula mixed with um van helsing yeah, yeah that regard um yeah exactly i mean yeah i mean i saw it more as a as a western thing but but that sort of the you know that time of of when like hell van helsing was um supposed to uh roam eastern europe um yeah you could you could almost pick a bit of that there's certainly that vibe to it as well certainly in the design of the castle um county's castle and everything yeah. so because interestingly the the novel the way it portrays D um, as this sort of very young, very very good-looking sort of young man. I don't think you quite get um, from the anime. It doesn't to me. It doesn't really come across as this dashing young man. It's well, uh, mm. and I don't think he's drawn. Don't think he's drawn quite that way. I think he's. I think he's purposely ambiguous about. Yeah, you know, tall, who well, he, is. he fits the tall, dark, and mysterious. Um, yeah. Thing you know, which I guess the. Um, Doris sort of latches onto, and, uh, which is it's sort of built upon. It's it's not immediately sort of believable, but um, and it's only achieved through expositional dialogue. You can't tell from how she behaves until later on in yeah uh, in, in a slightly menial sort of reflection sequence. <laughs> but the um, but yeah, I, I do I do think he's I think he's great. The first. I think he's great all the way through, but the first 10 minutes you sort of warm up to him. But that's like, I think, quite typical of his meant to be hard exterior. But obviously, I can't comment having not read the model, uh, having not read the novel, rather. Yeah, I think it's the novel sort of plays him out. And I think 
the the movie basically um it hits all the beats that are in the in the novel in pretty much the same sequence all the key events mm. um typically being a a book which is actually quite a few pages um condensed down to 80 minutes in the OVA it mm. obviously cuts loads and loads of description um, yeah, of and sort of detail around uh, specific events that happen Mm. in the OVA um not that I think that the OVA suffers anything for it at all I think the OVA does tells a very good story at a very good pace mm, um, it does, which yeah. I which, which is why I think it's so engaging yeah um, well one of the things that's that, that really great about the OVA is the fact that the characters are consistent yes uh, they are they are always consistent by their beliefs and uh, and their attitudes and that like the way they're set up 5 minutes in to be is yeah you, you can say the same, you know, 60 minutes to 80 minutes down the line uh, for them, which is which is really refreshing. Uh, you know, because yeah. there's uh, unless like everything they go through is completely believable and they stand by their beliefs and there's no there's no massive character changes or character, you know, massive impacts on their lives that would change their character outlook or anything like that. But it is consistent across the board to the point, to the point where um, it doesn't create any discrepancy within the story so yeah. it's not something you didn't notice at, at first but then at the end of it you're like yeah you know what i've i've witnessed a, a very compelling story and i think the characters you know they're great characters in in the novel and they're you know they're recreated on the screen very very well and i i think you're completely right is that you know they're well established and they're well established very quickly mm. in the in the film and then they are consistent and their behaviors and the way they talk and, and everything is, is consistent as well. So, um, and I think you can really get these interesting, you know, some of the baddies at the thought are very interesting as well. So I think direction and, and write, uh, sort of screenwriting is, is really well done. Mm, no, the other sure. thing, cause the other thing as well, I think done is really well is the, is the actual general design in it. I think a lot of it looks a bit Fist of the North Star-ish. I think some of the character designs look a bit Fist of the North Star-ish, even though mm. the character designers are different. But I think some of the way the faces are drawn, um, I think you can see similarities to it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Ashida had some sort of uh, effect on on that. Because um, Ray, who's the that the uh, thin assassin that's working for Lamaka, could just be a baddie almost straight out of Fist of the North Star, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, also, uh, Count Lee as well. Yeah, Count Lee yeah. has got really... Uh, Count Lee especially, I think, has mm. um, real... It could be a character lifted straight out of Fist of the North Star as well, mm. the, the, way he's, the way he's drawn. But I think the castle, you know, the, the horses, that I say that sort of mix of science fiction and fantasy... Mm-hmm. Um, in it and all you know science fiction and western I think you know does I think it just gels really well and it's all really well designed and there's lots of other little details which I think are really really good I mean we haven't talked about left hand yet and I think that's just a brilliant character oh left hand you know, yeah of course you know just I mean I remember when I first saw it back in the mid 90s you know and I, was, I thought oh it's just such it was really a surprise but it's um he's he's just a really good castle um He's just a really good character, and he's a really good foil to um, to, to D, D. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's very, um, he's great at like these these moments of contemplation for uh, D, and like you, you immediately as soon as you ask, like maybe three seconds into this uh, slow pan into him thinking or brooding, 
uh, you get uh, you get his hand to start you know saying what he's thinking and it like yeah. provides that expositional sort of uh, conflict of of interest against what he's feeling, um, constantly challenging him um, going forward and about like resisting his primal instincts and stuff like that to be yeah. you know, the bigger man, the the ultimate sort of vampire hunter and what he must go through. Because uh, left hand gets most of the best lines in the film, I think. Yeah, I think so you too. Know, he, yeah. he gets really, really good. Just at the right time, he just says that, you know, that Saki sort of comment, um, which I think is just really, really, you know, has perfect comedy timing as well with it. Um, and mm. It's a really, and again, it's just, there's nothing else really like that. And um, I think, you know, Kikuchi's creation of doing that and he's really good he's it's really good in the book and i think it's portrayed perfectly in the ova i think it's it's been perfectly recreated mm. um like i say you know the castle some of the monsters the character designs i think it's all just really really well crafted um and it just looks really good and and those designs i think have aged really well as well yeah it doesn't look i mean we watched it the the blu-ray and you know it acts absolutely fantastic um, on Blu-ray and blue, you know, HD does the detail in it real justice, but I don't think it's aged um, at all. It, you know, it, it, there's no, nothing looks really sort of eighties in it. I don't think. No. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's real testament to the, the, the you know, the love and the, you know, the skill that went into uh, creating it mm. along, you know, and Talking about great design, that also you know we've touched on how good the story is and it's well paced. But there's some, and we've talked about the uh, opening sequence, but also there's some other really good sequences. Um, I think the bit where D escapes from um, Medusa, where he's he um, his vampire urge comes out. Yeah. Because um, because just to explain, we haven't touched on that, but he's a, a dampier, which is a half vampire, half human. Mm. He's not just a dampier. Like he's he's the son of Dracula. He's the son of Dracula. Yeah, so. Um, you know, so he is, you know, he's a, he's an exceptional vampire. Um, and that bit, and he he sort of falls, you know, gives into his um, vampire instinct to escape from Medusa, which is a three-headed snake creature. Yeah, the sisters. Um, yeah. The sisters and um he gets out and rescues Doris and gets out of the escapes from the castle being uh, chased by that golem creature. Right, getting, ch- getting chased by by three different um the three it's actually very good because the three challenges he faced going in um, yes he takes out in reverse order uh in no time at all uh so yeah he, he's, he's got really good yeah he's got really good music behind it as well it does yeah and it's just a really good action you know it's just a brilliant action sequence and he just gets away mm. um but yeah, like you say it, you're absolutely right he he faces the same obstacles but in reverse and overcomes them because yeah, there's, there's another as well like <laughs> no hesitation to it's just it's quite a butchery. short sequence but it's just a brilliant sequence yeah because um, there's that creature he faces where the uh, spiders come out of its mm. there's a little i mean it's back i mean that's like horribly creepy and yeah. then left hand eats them all. Um, but, it, you know, it's just another bit of great design because I never find horror anime scary. No. Um, it, it's not, it, I, I, I don't know, maybe that's where the animation actually takes something away from it. But um, there are yeah. bits in Vampire Hunter D that are creepy, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think there is there is certainly a, the a ideas creepy atmosphere are, yeah, to it and the exactly. ideas in it. Yeah, I, I find character design or monster design very interesting, a uh, really interesting process because then um, you 
basically decide what fundamentally this monster is built to do is it to affect the character physically mentally or the environment etc etc what the extent what its anatomy is going to be like to affect um how it acts and and how it behaves uh so he goes through three three very different like monsters you've got the the humanoid mutant one that carries that blade who's basically an all-rounder sort of sturdy um skilled fighter you've got the uh the weak floating one that deals with summoning phantoms you've got the yeah uh, i guess the the sort of the utility one that's got the the spiders it launches at yeah you've got the dumb brute force which is the (laughs) which is golem um but yeah it's like uh the character design the monster design especially is something i find fascinating yeah and i think it's again it's very very well done um Mm. Going back to some of the characters as well, I mean, what you said about um, Doris at the start, um, something definitely you touched on there is something that, that was quite apparent to me. Um, Doris, well, the film, it, I think, can be quite misogynistic, mm. which I think is fairly typical for its time. You know, there's there's gratuitous breast shots. And, mm. you know, if you take if you if you take the horror the Hammer horror film thing, you know, there was loads of gratuitous breast shots in those films as well. So, yeah, yeah. you know, he's literally lifted that. But, you know, it's got that, you like you say, she's often a damsel in distress, but sometimes she is really strong as well because well, she doesn't take she, any crap from Greco. No, no. I think she starts really strong and um, uh, and then immediately after she gets bitten, like, all the power is taken away from her. Uh, so she relies heavily on D, but then still has those. I think I, uh, the only problem I had is like her being all too ready to give up on on life immediately after you know the whole getting portrayed by yeah. the turning thing. Because it's like I, I thought that was quite a character conflict from what she's portrayed as in the early and at the very start of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, it's some. I wouldn't say yeah. it's like a massive takeaway from the story. It's very very minute, uh, very very minute. Yeah, because in the latter bit when she's uh, Count Lee's got, her, he, yeah, he she very much just becomes a his a doll, a, 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 doll, bit, a yeah. doll a bit, doesn't she? But Lamech is quite a strong character, and even even when she finds out that she's not a nobility, you know, that the, mm. she's quite consistent in in oh her she's in the way yeah, yeah. you know, and I think even though again she's a bit put down, she's also quite strong. So I think it's you know I don't think it's as bad as other. 80s oh, anime so, no, that we've no. seen where it's like really misogynistic. I, I think actually for something it's got some quite strong female characters. Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't want to hang on that sort of that, that idea simply because it's just uh, it's just a, it goes without saying in a lot of that era's animation. So yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. And it's not we've a talked about deal. it. In, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, on, exactly on the in, in previous reviewed, things. So, so. Uh, but the, yeah, I, not from the the social justice warrior perspective, but more primarily from like how strong she appeared at the start versus how weak she was towards the end. Yeah. As some of the her like character dialogue I was like, oh, I don't know if I 100% agree with it, but it it's fair. And like in a similar fashion being again being an 80s OVA. Mm. I mean it's gloriously violent and gory. It is very uh, very good at that. Um you know that the bit where the uh, that red mist thing comes and eats the the sheep or the cows, you know, and you see all its inside, you know, the sheep's insides, and the bit where uh, Count Lee picks up Ray um, towards the end, and he's smashing him round the the columns and the 
on the walls and yeah, as he goes around you see skins, his brains falling out and, yeah just then just skins him alive from uh, just using telekinesis yeah absolutely <laughs> madness it is madness but it's so well done because every time he hits you see him like get a bit more bruised or broken yeah. you know and then eventually he's against the wall and his brains are falling out and it, uh, I mean I think that all that's sort of a bit of this you know it's gloriously uh gloriously violent um is, yeah. which is i you know i do really really like um but i think the other thing i just you want to touch on i think the um you know the the hammer horror um christopher lee thing uh influence is so evident count lee i'm sure the name is no coincidence mm. um at all you know does look a bit what you'd expect well does look a bit like christopher lee um, the castle was very gothic, mm-hmm. um, you know, the gothic dress, horror. the girl's dress and stuff. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of influence, um, mm. I think, there from from Hammer Horror. I think it's very I think it's quite apparent on screen. Um, but, uh, yeah, the other, one last thing I do want to touch on with the novel. Uh, I know you haven't read it, but the novel goes into loads of detail about the world building, about the, this world in the year. 12,090. Yeah. Um, all about, you know, the, the, the nuclear war that happened and, um, the, you know, the weather stations that control the weather and, and mm. you know, this, the, the fantastic capital city. Now, if you put all that in the film, I think it would have ended up being a very long film. Oh, very, Possibly very not it was a quite as interesting. Yeah, yeah it was so, definitely a lost pacing. So I think um, Ashida did well to actually cut a lot of that out and just, you know, keep it as a you know a, a horror horror action flick um and take some of that wheel building because you get you know there's a title card at the very beginning which tells you just enough what you really need to know mm. um to set the scene as it goes into the opening um, yeah, exactly. sequence so i think i think that was a really good call actually to leave to leave that out if you've done a tv series of it then yeah you'd have put and you'd have told that through 26 episodes or 50 episodes or something. Mm. Um, but as an OVA, I think I think he, I think he made the right call and and uh, and just kept the pace um, kept kept the pace going. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably it. What's your uh, summation of Vampire Hunter D. Lewis? Out of ten, yeah. I'd give it a solid 8.5. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a nine out of ten for me. I think. Yeah, 8.5. I, I I'd give it an 8.5 because I think. I actually think Bloodlust is better. <laughs> actually, I actually think Bloodlust, uh, it was, I think 2000, 2001, um, is, is better in terms of having me a bit more gripped. Yeah. Um, but it's probably because it's a bit more closer to my time. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, I have to say, I mean, the, the OVA for me, the original OVA is a nine out of 10. It's, mm. It's another anime that I've owned on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. I enjoy watching it every time. It's one of those films, a bit like we talked about with Street Fighter 2. It's never a chore watching it. You know, mm. I, I watched it twice for uh, in preparation for the podcast, and you know, I just really, really enjoyed it. But you know, I, I, touching on Bloodlust, and I did want to talk about that a little bit. Um, yes, it came out in the year 2000. It was a very early DigiPaint film. Created predominantly for the West rather than Japan, I think it got an English yeah, dub yeah. before it got a Japanese dub. Really? Yeah, oh. yeah. I think it was released in English and then it got a Japanese dub um, a few years later. Um, oh. I'm, I'm sure that's. I, I do remember that in the early 
when it came out. Yeah, it's um, a very different portrayal of D in that. In that um, in yeah, so, um, yeah, so we did actually have a question um, from the Anime UK News Forums, um, Professor Irony. Um, he did ask, um, how does the portrayal of D compare between the OVA and Bloodlusts as they come across as very different characters in each film based on the dub? Um, I wouldn't say they're extraordinarily different. I, no. There's definitely, um, I think, I mean, obviously his skin colour is different in, in Bloodlust. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's drawn a bit differently. I, yeah. I think he's got he's more drawn, pointy features. Yeah, I th- and I think he's drawn more to how the book describes him as mm. this very good-looking young man. I think the I think Bloodlust is a bit more faithful to the to the original novel like that. I mean, I I didn't watch the dubs for this. Um, I only watched uh, I only watched the Japanese tracks. Um, I, I would have to say I think these maybe a slightly more sympathetic or empathic character in Bloodlust. Um, uh, I think so, but then we don't know how long in the future it is after um, the events. Of- no, we don't. But I think his portrayal is, you know, there's the bit about where the old man about de rescuing the ten kids from the nobility. Yeah. And then fulfilling Leela's wish and going to his, um, going to going her, to her uh, funeral yeah. and everything, you know, and speaks to her granddaughter and what he says, I think... He's a softer character. I, yeah, I, I think uh, may, maybe a little bit more empathic. I don't know. I'm not, not a huge... Sure. Not, not massively. Because no. Dee is in some ways empathic in the first one when he, when he talks to Dan... Mm. And gives them the little pep talk when they're in the yeah. in the uh, town centre. And um, you can you can mirror that to the, the little girl uh, in in the in, bl- end. in bloodlust. Yeah, in bloodlust. Uh, so that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they're not worlds think, apart. No. No, I don't think they're worlds apart. I think there's maybe slightly more empathic in bloodlust, but I I, I didn't really see much different. I think I no. thought there was quite good consistency between the two. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bloodlust. To be honest, I hadn't seen. I saw it. I've only seen it once before, and that was back in two thousand and one or something when I bought it. And I haven't seen it in the, uh, you know, in the intervening sixteen years or whatever. Mm. Um, actually, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's, it is it's absolutely cracking. <laughs> it's a, it's a cracking film. Mm. Um, for me, they're they're both on an equal path, um, you know. And in terms of retro anime, I mean, it's seventeen years old now. It's not quite within the remit, really, of no, it's of, not of the the podcast so we're not going to go into it in any detail but it is linked and i have to say um you know it will soon be 20 years old um yeah. that film uh, I think, but i think but i think it you know i do think it's a cracking film i think i think it edges it only for me purely based on the fact that it's a little bit more polished in the animation yeah. department but that's intrinsic of i guess it's because it's a continued uh franchise and the success of the first one um, yeah, there was that willingness to invest a bit more into that, um, but you know I can't say for sure. Uh, but I did. I think it does edge it by 0.5 of a point. So I would give Bloodlust <laughs> nine, nine out of ten, but the original one, eight point five. Yeah, I, I mean I think they're both nine out of ten films mm-hmm. for me. I, I really really enjoy them. They're both cracking. I mean, they, the original OVA does look like an 80s. I mean, it's very typically 80s. It's hand drawn. Um, Bloodlust is the digi paint, you know, it's kind of got a much, it, you know, it kind of looks like the type of artwork you were seeing in the late ni- like 90s and early 2000s. So, well, I, I, and it's, it's just the of, products of their time, I think. Yeah, it's the kind of thing I'd definitely buy prints for. Uh, or, mm. or I'd buy animation cells off of it. 
because I like the the sort of character designs, and that's uh, I wouldn't necessarily do that for um, the new for Bloodlust because I don't f- I think I can pick up you know very similar designs. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, the original like sort of hand drawn genius that went into a lot of the demons yeah. and everything else in the original and the, the painstaking detail into the anatomy and gore of these creatures. <laughs> uh, very cool. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, um, yeah, I think that, I think they dated very well and I think they're, um, they're, they're both very, very good films. For our next review, we're going to look at Vampire Princess Miyu. Uh, this was a four-part OVA released between 1988 and 1989. It was directed by Eri Tsukamoto and uh, Toshihiro Hirano and produced by AIC. Uh, it's based on a manga by Narumi Kakinuchi, uh, who's actually Toshihiro Hirano's wife. Uh, Tsukamoto uh, directed episodes 1, 2 and 4 and Hirano himself directed episode 3. Toshihiro Hirano uh, is more commonly known um, for his mecha power suit anime, a lot of which he produced sort of from the mid, sort of early mid 80s um, up through to the to the uh, late 90s. Um, and he, he was the director behind Magic Knight Ray Earth, the uh, Ixa series, Dangayo, Demons of Steel, quite a few uh, things like that. And his wife, Kakinuchi, um, you know, who was a prolific animation director, uh, actually did a lot of the animation direct and, uh, direction work on Hirano's uh, anime. And if any of you have got the uh, Fight Ixa 1 DVD, uh, there's, a, there's a special on there behind the scenes, and you can see Hirano, Kakinuchi, and Masami Obari, who did some of the um, mecha design for that as well. So uh, that's well worth checking out um there was actually a 26 episode tv series um uh, which was a remake uh, that came out in 1997 and was directed in its entirety by hirano the oba and tv series are both still available in the us um and the tv series got a uk release which is still available uh, when i checked the other day um but the ova has um has never been uh, released in the uk so a little bit of the synopsis to Vampire Princess Miu. Miu is the last vampire, and with the help of her Shinma servant Lava, she must return the Shinma, who are demon gods, back to the dark. The Shinma activity brings a spiritualist by the name of uh, Himiko to investigate and into contact with Miu. So, Lou, what do you think of Vampire Princess Miu? Um, you mean Vampire Mushishi? <laughs> uh. <laughs> No, it's sort of Mushishi came away after. But um no, I, I did think like I I couldn't help but draw comparisons to Mushishi. Um Oh really? Yeah. It's it's I I think that sort of uh Mushi or uh, Shinma hunting uh is is it follows a very similar structure uh to what yeah. uh, in, in terms of how they progress and stuff like that. Um Whereas I think Mushishi is a very much, uh, you, you, I guess you'd sit down, watch it, and sort of in, enjoy the process. It's very, that that one is very much about sort of life cycle, 
and yes. uh, yeah, supernatural absolutely. supernatural explanations for you know terrible events and stuff like that and, and adapting to it and uh, I think um, but I did I did draw those comparisons I do think it's good I wouldn't necessarily sort of like watch it again anytime soon uh, but I I do feel like it's a little bit all, all over the place in terms of plot yeah um, a, a few things that happen later on you know, you're like, oh, so that's what it meant in episode one. Or, yeah. uh, but, you know, some people are like, oh, that's the way it's meant to be. But in my book, that's just a bit, a bit of sort of poor storytelling. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I completely agree with it. It's good. Um, that's how I would surmise it. Um, this was the first VHS fan sub that I ever saw back in 1992. I had a tape from the Alti brothers, borrowed a tape from them. It also had the first silent Mobius movie on it. And back in 1992, I thought it was amazing. And I watched it over and over again. I didn't see it again until about 2006 when I bought the Animago DVDs from the US. And I watched it and I think maybe I had quite high expectations because I had such good memories of it. Because mm. back in 92, I'd seen very little anime. Or, you know, mm. I'd only seen Akira and Fist of the North Star and a couple of other things that have been released, and then, then started seeing, you know, getting all the fan sub uh, VHSs. And I watched it again, and I was a bit like, hmm, it's good, but it's not quite as blowing me away as I remember it. And I'd seen a lot more anime by then. Like me and Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> yeah. never, never forget it. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I think, ultimately, you're exactly right. It's the structure that, that's wrong for me mm. um i think the storytelling within each episode is very good but the mm. structure and the way the four episodes are presented as a structure of an ova series i think is very bad yeah i'd look at it i'd look at it this way if um if you really if you've watched it and listened to the podcast and you really enjoy it the way it is would you feel it'd be better if you took all of the character development points plot points that happen for some reason throughout episode one to episode four and just put them in a in a sensible sequence and then set up these events because then as you watch it everything would have a bit more gravity and you'd have a bit more understanding that it wouldn't it wouldn't take away from because if you're uh, i i think it's episode three is it where she um you get the backstory of lava you get the backstory of lava and um mew uh yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of no. So you get the backstory of Lava where he says, "Oh, you don't know her pain." Yeah. Uh, I think that would be infinitely more poignant if I didn't have to wait until episode four to know what that meant. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was established a little bit earlier on when she had that maybe the the a tribulation with the doll. Um, Shimmer, yes, absolutely. Uh, if there was a bit of you know uh, attachment issues there and you know longing for a connection, if that made sense with with that earlier on then episode three would have been like damn what a good episode yeah well, i couldn't so, feel that way I, I felt like oh jesus now what yeah I, I i feel the same i think the, the first two episodes are basically uh, there's there's little bits it introduces the characters introduces himiko um and then you know you have these things where you know these two episodes where Mew's you know, casting, you know, these, these, uh, Shinma back to the dark. Mm. And then you suddenly get into episode 
three, and then there's a load of backstory mm-hmm. and you know exposition about what's happened and and why they are, and then you get more of it in episode four, and then it finishes, and that's it. Mm. And the whole sequencing of it, uh, I say, kind of feels wrong. Yeah, you know, I was going to say like it's it's very much that the first two episodes is uh, inciting incident tribulation of the characters um like pivotal moment and resu- resolution uh but yeah. never quite the the resolution that is 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 after for um himiko uh yeah uh, so she, you sort of follow her periodically trying to uncover this mystery which i guess if you see it from her standpoint she's like a detective going yeah. through it um it does make more sense than you i'd be more happy to uh appreciate that you follow uh, Himiko as the detective as she tries to find out more about this, but she's not she's not solidified as that early on um, no. as this person who's unraveling a mystery. She just merely stumbles into it. Um, so if she was active, if she was proactive, I you, you'd latch onto that and you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm on her journey rather than Princess Mio's. Yeah, because I think Himiko's story is good, and the reveal at the end, which I won't say on the podcast, go go and watch it. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's really good, but I think there could have been a little bit more a bit earlier on that, oh, I don't know, led to it. It, it, mm. it, Yeah, it kind of went, it kind of took you down a very funny path. Mm. Um, it'd a be, bit around about. Yeah, it would be a very different movie if it was, uh, sorry, OVA, four part OVA, if it was called um, Spiritualist Himiko. <laughs> Because then you'd yeah. be like, then you'd be like, all right, I'm focusing on Himiko, and I'm gonna look at how she, I like, finds out what's happening here. I'm gonna look at how she, um, for the betterment of mankind, or for this this uh, this elusive character uh, Miu, is going to find out her story as well. You know, how how she fits into this world. Um, but it's not. It's called Vampire Princess Miu, and I'm focused on her and i don't find out about her until it's over yes and i think that's and i think you make a really good point there well the story is about himiko as much as it is about Miu mm. for a lot of it um i think i think you're absolutely spot on there um because it's like i say it's a bit of a shame because the drama within the episodes i think is really really good mm. um the, like in episode two the story you know the love story between ranker and k I think he's actually quite moving. Um, and when, you know, Miu is desperate to stop Ranker taking Kay and turning him into a doll, but that's what they want. And they live happily ever after as dolls and Miu loses out. Mm-hmm. And I like that it has that bit of sweetness for um, for Miu. You yeah. know, things don't always work out for her. She's she's not always winning. Mm. I like um, that line it, as well, that um, you've lost. It's like, I haven't lost. It's like, no, you've lost as a woman. It's like, ah, yes. Jesus. Exactly, and I think that that sort of drama and 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 that bit of it, I think, is really really good. Mm. And there, there's just there's moments of pure brilliance in it, like mm. that. Um, you know, the diseased man when he realizes what happened, what's happened to him and his wife. You know, what mm. his wife gave up for him, and then the story about Miu's father. You know, having been turned and having no purposes in life, and his eternal life a is it really a blessing or is it really a curse? Yeah, yeah. You know, those sort of, I say there's just pockets of absolute brilliance in the, in the story, uh, mm. in but the writing, in the storytelling. Mm. But 
it doesn't the really way it's presented yeah it doesn't capitalize on it absolutely as you say you could have reorganized some of that into four episodes and it been an absolutely brilliant four episodes mm. but the, the yeah the sequence is just it's kind of wrong um and it doesn't doesn't capitalize on on that at all yeah and it's, it's, it's a hard one for me to to go by because there's so many different ways to tell a story and i think that if you were to pose the argument that it was uh, it is about Himiko's detective uh, or spiritualist journey to to find out about this, this mysterious vampire girl who um, seems to be so alone, then then I could appreciate ah oh, yeah grand. But like, what would I rather have watched in that regard personally? Would it have been coherent and something that let me grab the reins and sort of go oh yeah that's that's an interesting idea rather than, ah, okay, that might be an interesting idea, or she might be yeah. onto something. Um, and I don't know, it's hard to say, because I'd, I'd have to re-watch re it again with that mindset now, yeah, um, and and see if I feel any differently. So it might be something I, I should do. I mean, I have to say, the more I've, I've seen it quite a few times, I still like it, but, I mean, when I first watched it again, you know, ten years ago... Um, what the parent was like actually how much of a mess the story is um or the sequence and i you know i do see it and i think my my opinion in the last 10 years hasn't changed at all mm -hmm. on, on that i think that's its biggest flaw but kind of despite that it's i think charming. it's got a great atmosphere it's charming you know it's charming it's got it's very dark and moody mm -hmm. you know and it portrays that dark moody sort of sinister atmosphere very well throughout mm. uh lava is a very cool character yeah he is yeah he's, he's just a, not really a... built on like he's not given yeah. anything you just like you know yeah i don't think he's capitalized on again no like the the rest of the story it's yeah. just there's a lot of interesting not... ideas that um uh, like uh when she's going up against the uh the, the suit of armor and the the, the i guess yeah. the, the guy who's sort of possessed it as such uh, and he's he's on about um, freeing lava. Is his name Ranker? Oh, his name. Um, oh, no, Ranker's the oh, um, yeah. Shinma from episode yeah. two. I can't remember what his name was actually. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, when they, they they've got relationship. Though that that Shimmer and, and and Lava have got a relationship, and that's just like, oh, you don't deserve him. You don't know who he is to me, and you never know who he is. <laughs> it's just he's gone, and Lava's just like, you don't know her pain. And then you're like, oh well, okay, well that's I guess that's resolved. You know, it's nicely animated. It's got nice artwork, mm. very 80s looking, but it does look very nice. Yeah, uh, it's got great action sequences in it. Um, you know, the mm. bits where, especially in the first two episodes, um, where uh, Mio battles the Shinma that's possessed that possessed that girl, and then fights Ranker in episode two. Mm. Um, you know, those those battle fight sequences are, are very very good so you know there, there has there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff about it um is quite an interesting character she's she's not a typical you know she's the last of her kind she's she's got a special mission you know she can go out in daylight holy water doesn't affect her uh, yeah. she has a reflection those sort of things himiko i think is a really interesting character her story and the things that get revealed and you know what ultimately happens at the end of episode four i think is really interesting mm. um and you know way her portrayal like i say lava's good you know all the other supporting characters are quite interesting in it um mm. 
they get enough screen time or the way they're written i think you know you generally is is a very good four episodes of character development i think um it's it's a nice little it's all it's all it's all yeah yeah go ahead i was just saying it's a nice package it's just not necessarily tidy yeah um it is and that's yeah it's untidy it's not coherent it's a bit disjointed um you know the other thing as well uh we've got a touch on we'll add this music into it but i think the sound effects in it are great going back to the atmosphere and yeah, the yo- mood and everything. Uh, the tapping yeah, the, the tapping wooden yeah. taps yeah you know i think it's they feel that feels a little bit i don't know of its time I think I it's think. it's it's very Mushishi as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but, I'm sure Mushishi like maybe drew a little bit of inspiration from it. I'm I'm sure, but uh, um, so it feels a, a bit of its time, but it's very very fitting mm. to that to the OVA. I think it goes the music and the sound effects are are perfect with with the artwork and the visuals that you see. Mm. Um, I've never seen the um, the the remake because um, you can tell there's a load of story that's untapped um in that ova there's just there's a load more to it one of those things i was always meant to see but i never got around to watching and actually watching it again and making the notes for this podcast i think actually i'd I'd like to go back and watch the ova it's a um, tv series it's 26 episodes so it should have plenty of room to actually flesh the story out and because hirano's directing it as well um i think he'll be quite faithful to the um to the story so mm. i think that's that's probably definitely um definitely worth i've seen the trailer for it it's in you know it looks very different it's in late 90s animation but um but yeah i've generally seen some quite good stuff about that so yeah mm. i think it's worth uh it's worth checking out for sure so score Overall. out of 10 I'd give, a, I'd give it a seven out of 10 from from myself yeah uh, i'd give it a seven i think i think there's a lot of good stuff in it but I think the the structure um, kind of really lets it down. Yeah, I mean it'd be um, Himiko is very much like the catalyst to move the story forward. It's like it doesn't re- the story doesn't rely on her, but she shows up at integral parts to sort of diagnose a problem or or shift it into a into a new stage of it. Um, uh, so you know it's hard to say where exactly she fits in that hierarchy of, of characters. Yeah, um, but I will have to rewatch it again and see if I can reappraise it. But the, no, I, I think a solid seven out of ten. Yeah, I think it's a seven out of ten. Um, yeah. I think yeah, it's it's a fairly solid. It's definitely. I mean, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, concept of that um, pushes it up for me as well. Yeah, so. I mean, it's very good. I, you know, I think it's um, a good. Uh, it's a good sort of uh, sort of horror fantasy series. It, you know, the it doesn't look dated. Um, like I say the bits that are good are really good mm. in it. So yeah, a, a, definitely a recommendation. Mm. Right, and that brings us to the end of our reviews, then, Lewis. It does indeed, yeah. So, 
what are we going to review next time we're going to go back quite way back in time now um we're going to have a look at what Iso Takahata and Hayao Miyazaki were doing before they set up Studio Ghibli. So we're going to go right back into the uh, late, 70, uh, late 60s and early 70s. Uh, we're going to review uh, Horus, Prince of the Sun and Panda Go Panda. My goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to truly, truly do some retro anime. OK, yeah, that's that's interesting enough. Some stuff I've never seen or heard of. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So that should be mm. um, that should uh, create some uh, very interesting discussion, then, Lewis. So uh, yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting one to go down the path. Cool. Right. So to wrap up, where where to find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at RetroAnime. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud. Podomatic, Stitcher and iTunes just search for Retro Anime Podcast um, please leave us reviews, like, share subscribe, all that good stuff website retroanimepodcast.com email me at ian at retroanimepodcast.com and you can find me on the Anime UK News Forums, my username is Organ right, that is the end yep. <laughs> alright Lewis, take it easy until right. next time. Until next time, everyone. Farewell for now. Bye. Bye.